Welcome to Thriller Bitcoin. Welcome to Thriller Bitcoin. remember that uh no my my predictions weren't on price they were certain things that had to happen before the the bear market would be over and it was things like jeremy rubin quits ctv um michael saylor goes underwater on his investment um what else was there there's quite a few. CTV. E- well, there's an Elon oh, Musk one. Twitter, Twitter removes the NFT feature. These are the things that actually all happened. <laughs> um, and there was, and there was one or two more. It was like one of them didn't happen basically, and the other, everything else did. What was, was, the, what was pretty, the last? Pretty one? sweet prediction. What was the last one? What? What was the last one? <clears throat> I'm just gonna search it since. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dude, that, it was crazy because I, I was talking to I was talking to Shane the other day and. Uh, he was like, John was right on all of them. <laughs> I was like, I know. <laughs> he literally nailed every single one of them. Minus uh, minus whatever the last one we're searching right now. Um, it's wild, man. Well, I know one of the, another one was the DeFi market cap is down. I forget what I said, but I put too high of a percentage. I put like 95% and it only went like 80% or something. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> yeah, the list was sale. Bear, the, the tweet is here. I'll give you the link later if you want it. Um, bear market can't, and this was on May eighth, twenty twenty two. Bear market can't end until sailor is underwater. The UST Luna Ponzi explodes because um, this is before that happened. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Rubin gives up on CTV, which he did. I, I think he went back to it recently. Um, the DeFi market cap is down ninety five percent from the peak. And then Twitter removes the NFT feature. So pretty much all happened. And back then, a lot of those predictions were like, you're crazy. Or, yeah, that should happen, but it won't. You know, <laughs> John, why are you always right, man? It's annoying. It's annoying to a lot of us who, who do this for a living. <laughs> While a lot of people think that I'm arrogant and think that I'm always right, I, I am definitely not always right. I just try not to talk when I don't know what I'm talking about. Ah, is that the trick? And when I do talk, when I don't know what I'm talking about, I always make all kinds of disclaimers. Like, all right, I'm probably not the best person to ask, but here's what I think. Yeah. Well, speaking of not the best person to ask, or maybe you are, I don't know. What What is your whole opinion on this whole L2 debate uh, with 
with all sorts of uh, things going on. I'll be honest, I'm not quite sure the state of the debate right now. I feel like there's a little bit of a gap between American Bitcoin culture and European Bitcoin culture. Um, and, and I also mute and block a lot of people that talk about dumb things on Twitter. So I don't really know what, what what's the debate. So, so it's just like, well, do we, is lightning going to scale? Can we, can we get it to the 8 billion people? But do we have to get it tomorrow? Can we get it like five years down the line? That kind of thing. And obviously we're seeing all this other stuff like liquid, uh, you know, the, the mints and uh, all these other things that are out there. Um, just like, what, what's your opinion on so, all that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about this kind of thing from me and some of my peers as far as lightning goes and scaling. And I'm trying to be a proponent of getting people to discuss this more reasonably. I don't think we need anything right now as far as like a block size increase or, you know, UTXO sharing on chain and a soft fork to make that practical, whatever. I don't think we need any of that, to be honest. Um, as far as lightning goes, uh, I think that the, the claims of 2018, roughly, and probably the next couple of years after, have kind of, in my opinion, proven to be overstated and a little bit, you know, we were all pretty excited. Some were very excited making claims like, for example, that Lightning would be like the next Visa or something like this. Well, a, a true Bitcoin layer like Lightning can only scale as much as on-chain can allow it to. So there's like, you always have on-chain as a limiting factor. So even if we got as many people as we could in Lightning, it would only achieve so much extra scale for Bitcoin. So it is, it, its ability to help was never going to replace Visa. Um, and as a side note, I'll mention, my theory is that scale looks the same no matter what you do. So in other words, like to get the amount of people to use a payment system like Visa, you probably end up with the same amount of centralization, the same amount of fees, et cetera, at scale as you would if you took that path starting from Bitcoin. Um, and so this is a, a kind of theory I'm playing around with. But anyway, the point being that Lightning can only do so much. And if we have people that think that everyone's going to use Bitcoin, well, on-chain scaling is going to have to be a topic at some point. And I'm okay with that. I'm just not okay with hard forks because we can't really control them. Um, as far as like other things that are purported layers, I do not qualify them as or, or classify them as layers, like <clears throat> um, eCash projects and uh, Liquid and you know sidechain stuff. I just don't think any of those things are forms of scaling for Bitcoin. You might scale people's exposure to the Bitcoin price or other abstract goals, but those aren't scaling because they're like physically separated networks. And so you can't like scale a blockchain with another blockchain. You, like the definition of scaling is to actually increase the amount of capacity of a given network, of a given ecosystem. So that is requiring of more either sophisticated complexity like like lightning or just simple on-chain scaling of the magic numbers like block size. Yeah. And, and that's, that's interesting that you say it like that because that's kind of where I'm falling into this kind of place here recently. And uh, there was a great post last night on Stacker News. Well, all the normies were watching the Super Bowl. All the Bitcoiners were, you know, participating in this kind of open discussion about uh, eCash and some of these other, you know, what you described as proponents uh, for, for scaling lightning. Um, and 
I think for me, I think the biggest thing is, is like, I don't feel comfortable giving somebody my Bitcoin. Is that wrong to think that? Like, um, maybe like, I don't know. <laughs> if anybody I, makes you feel like it's wrong, it's because they're trying to take your Bitcoin. Well, I mean, it, it like some of the, some of the, the reasons to do this makes sense. It's like, this is for Africa, you know, yo bro, you don't know anything. Um, and it's some of these other reasons that totally make sense. Like maybe I don't know anything. Maybe I'm just dumb left side of the bell Bitcoiner. I, know at the end I of the think day, you like, have to like isolate all the ideas. Like, in order to like, I, I've been thinking lately. Like, I, I, it's, such, it's such an arrogant thing to say, but yeah. I've been thinking lately, imagining like this, this like I'm having this fantasy of creating like a series of books called How to Think, <laughs> and <laughs> like you have to actually like create like explaining to people that like you have to create a mental model and you have to connect as many relevant patterns and ideas to each other within the mental model. And when something you bring into your mental model doesn't fit, you have to figure out why and you can't put it somewhere that doesn't fit. And you have to, you know, admit that it doesn't fit. And anyway, all of that said, dude, that sounds just, that sounds like a great book. I would read that. (laughs) How to think (laughs) by John Carvalho. Well, I think if it sort of like, maybe it could be something like, uh, you know, the for idiots, you know what I mean? Like basic programming for idiots. It's kind of like that, except it's not meant to summarize everything. It's just meant to say like, here's a a starting mental framework that you could use for various topics. And on this topic, what I would say is, look, just because there are some Bitcoiners that are saying these projects are not forms of scaling or that it doesn't help Bitcoin or or whatever the arguments, counter arguments for eCash and, and other trusted solutions might be. It doesn't mean they're saying we're saying useless and that the people who work on them are stupid. It's not that at all. It's just saying that the way to classify this is to say, look, if you want to solve the problem of say um, really, really poor people that don't have banking, having a better form of, you know, currency or a better form, better technology for their money. And they don't have the, the ability to do banks and you want to advance the technology of say community banking or something like this, then this all, the whole narrative fits just fine. You just say, we're trying to bring, you know, modern banking in, in a community way to places that don't have it yet or places, places that that can't afford it, whatever the reason is. I don't know. I'm not going to claim to know. I'm just saying that you're talking about banking and you're talking about advancing banking technology and you're talking about advancing custodial features. And there's like, you know, a few hundred thousands of years where humans have been advancing banking concepts. So like you have to like respect those and learn from them and understand what they actually do to be able to make something that's useful. And if you come from the Bitcoin is my hammer and everything that looks like a nail, then your design is going to be weird and your use cases are going to be forced narratives and you're going to be pretty much like a, a shitcoiner fiat kind of scammer person because you're trying to like co-opt one mental model in order to give legitimacy to a totally different mental model. Wow. That's so well explained. Um, cause it, yeah, if, if it comes across like, like you just described like banking tech, that's something anybody could get behind. Right. Like, um, and, well, not Bitcoiners, but yeah, well, but you know what issue. I mean though, Bitcoiners but like, going to be like, okay, cool, whatever. But because they've conflated the two cultures now, it's like, Bitcoiners, Bitcoiners have this need, especially Bitcoiners that like aren't working in Bitcoin, have this need to feel like they're contributing and a part of something. And so they end up, they become like tastemakers and like 
supporters or deniers, you know, they, they decide on a trend and they, they try to sense the group, you know, in, in the tribe to see what should be supported and what should not. And this is a way that they can express themselves to be part of everything. But it doesn't quite always work. You know, you have to think for yourself. Yeah. I love the way you frame that because to me, that's something I could even get behind. I'd be like, yeah, if this is just to do that totally. But I think it's it's when it gets to the, hey, this is better than Bitcoin and uh, this is just as good as Bitcoin. And trust me, bro, like, give me your Bitcoin and I'll give you some nuts. Like, to me, that just doesn't work. I'm sorry. Just, yeah. And there are a few flat. claims and like an example of like how the claims become awkward. <clears throat> like, <clears throat> I know that mints. And a lot of, like I heard you say earlier, scale lightning with eCash. That's the first time I've actually heard that concept. Oh, but dude, I can it's out there. Where it came from. Are you on Noster? <laughs> Are you not on Noster? It's, it's no, no. Okay. Yeah. If you're on Noster, that's all you see is just. That just phrase just, is absurd. I, I no, if you go on Noster, bro, that's like, all you <laughs> see is just a bunch of like uh, eCashers just like, yeah, saying stuff like that. Uh, yeah. I, again, I, I don't want to discourage people from experimenting with technology. That's not my message. Um, it, but to, to make a claim that say eCash could scale lightning is just total either ignorance or scamming or naivety. I don't know. Um, but the issue is that lightning is already so complex. It's extremely difficult totally. to create a good user experience and extremely difficult to like make it reliable across, you know, many, many different permutations of routing situations and all these problems. Um, now if you say, we're going to use that as rails for something like rails to connect mints because mints are all different incompatible monies. And so in order to like, you have to like convert everything. This is kind of like tarot too. Like the, uh, the taproot assets project has this problem as well. They, they want to use the lightning network as rails, but the lightning network is the, is like the worst part of lightning. <laughs> and so it's like, you want to have all the complexity of lightning plus the complexity of doing a conversion, which includes like, fees, slippage, you know, having to have liquidity, you know, all of these issues. And then you want to have more complexity where the eCash is also using a Bitcoin-like user experience where like you have to own a key and you have to like save, I believe you have to save passphrases typically. So it's like not pass, not passwords, but um, C phrases. And so the user experience has the same friction as Bitcoin does, but you don't get to hold your Bitcoin. So it's like this whole thing where you're like, <laughs> you're, you're teaching everybody how to use Bitcoin without giving them any. Um, and then you're teaching, you're forcing everybody to deal with lightning and all of its trade-offs, like, except you're not giving them the Bitcoin. <laughs> and it just feels like this huge, huge trap to me. If we, if we come at it from the angle of this is a way to scale Bitcoin, because what it promotes is a lot of Bitcoin in custody. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really disturbing to me uh, because it, it's, it's only gotten exacerbated uh, the past few months. And I think in the beginning, it was just like, I think in 2022 when it launched and there was just a lot of, it was just like, oh, okay, cool. That looks like cool tech. You know, they're experimenting that kind of stuff. And then just here recently, I would say at the end of 2023, there's just more people just came and just started really hitting home on um, how it's going to save Bitcoin. And it's probably better than Bitcoin. And, and then it just got really scary for me. And I was just like, okay, if, if this is like 2018 all over again, John, and I'm not comparing the two, but if this is 2018 all over again and I have to pick a side between Bitcoin or a fork of Bitcoin, uh, like back then it was like Bitcoin cash. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm standing on the side of Bitcoin. I'm not making the same mistake and I'm not trying to make that claim. And I just want to be on the right yeah. side of history here. 
reminding everyone that I'm not a developer, but non-developer, I do have a lot of exposure to them and I do work with them every day. But um, a lot of Bitcoiners don't. And one thing they might not realize is that like nuance is that there are nuances of developer culture and, and developer behaviors. And I'm not going to name any names, but there are definitely, once you've been around for a while, identifiable people that you can say, oh, this guy is just, this is just his latest thing. You know what I mean? There, there are certain engineers and, and web devs and you know, different types of people that they express themselves through their code and their projects. And that doesn't mean that they're like building products to save the world like Bitcoiners usually want to aspire to. Like that's why anybody who's doing anything in Bitcoin is just trying to save the world and make everything perfect. Well, a lot of devs, including ones like Noster Devs, has a lot of devs like this. Like, they just want to make things. They just want to be creative. They want to express themselves. And their allegiance to their ideas is not very strong. And so you'll see them move from one project to the next to the next. And after about three or four projects, the hype cycles stop being so strong. And the kind of rock star power of this dev turning people's heads goes away if they don't actually stick with something and make something that actually makes a big impact. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah, I've seen that too. So don't cheerlead every Bitcoin project you see from every, from every wizard developer you think is either a current or future wizard because you have to just think about you know, your mental model and what these, if these problems actually solve anything for you or anybody you, you think is real. Yeah, because you know, I got a lot of shit for covering ordinals early on on thriller and then i got shit for letting ordinals meetups happen here at the lab and um and that was just for my community you know so for me i just try not to make the same mistake again because i saw how that turned out uh regardless of how you feel about it um i just didn't do my due diligence as far i mean as that doesn't sound like a perfect outcome for you or the way bitcoiners should be totally like i can understand being against like for example our, our local meetup we don't have like it's like no shitcoins allowed, but it doesn't mean no shitcoiners allowed. Like everybody is welcome, um, and, and that's not quite the same, I guess, with your ordinals situation. But a little bit. Like we had an ordinals meetup. It wasn't to promote ordinals. It was to educate everybody on what the hell this thing is that everybody's talking about. That's it. Um, and and I don't think anybody. I don't think bitcoiners would like to feel that way about the things they like to be told that they weren't invited or that they were bad for allowing this speech. It's yeah. I mean, there's a line between shilling a scam and educating. people. You know? No, we, we, I definitely got pulled aside a couple times from people in my community. who were like, what are you doing car? And I was like, I don't see it that way, but now I'm just a little bit more cautious about what we do here. Um, I even still get shit for the Nostra dev stuff for hosting that. Um, but I don't know, man. I guess it just depends. You have your own like mission and your own definition of you know what fits your code, and as long as you're matching that, you just have to maybe do a better job of informing people of your code. Yeah, totally. That's all me. Anyways, um, how you been? Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been busy. Um, haven't been doing as many podcasts the past six months or so. Yeah. Um, just haven't been tweeting as much. Just it's gotten to the point where work is just more interesting than most things. So I'd rather just stay there. 
<laughs> Let's talk about BitKit, man. I saw it got released last week and um, I downloaded it. Um, haven't sent any funds to it yet, but um, I'm definitely looking at it. I love the onboarding process. I don't remember that being in the in the previous version when I tested it last year. Um, can you talk about the onboarding process? It was like pretty seamless. It was like, hey, this is what you're doing. Uh, it was like a good like walkthrough. Um, yeah, I I don't think we've changed it. <laughs> um, I, I I might be wrong um, from the first version to now. But mostly it's, it's been this way for a while. Um, but yeah, it's just a few. It's pretty typical. Like you just open the app. It tells you the, the core features in a few slides. And then it asks you to make a wallet. And if you want to, there's an opportunity for you to do an advanced setup where you can choose an extra passphrase you know, for your seed phrase. Um, but yeah, you can also skip all of that and just open a non-backed up wallet if you really want to. And then, you know, just, I guess I'm getting into the details of the onboarding, but as an overview for the app, those who don't know what it is, it's a mobile Bitcoin wallet that is totally self-custodial, supports on-chain Bitcoin, Lightning, and basically, um, well, slash tags and various features around slash tags, um, which is a key-based protocol as well. Um, the Lightning features have been most work getting that going. Uh, we've been building with LDK, and so they've been kind of polishing up the LDK implementation while we polish up our implementation of it in our app. Um, but it's getting close, and this this week actually, we're starting an audit process for like the more you know security sensitive aspects of the app, just to see you know if there's any loose ends that we need to make sure are covered before we attempt to come out of beta. And so we'll come out of beta this year with BitKit. I would say my estimate would be in three to five months at most um, and do a real launch and try to get real users and come out of this testing phase. Um, but yeah, it's been a lot of work and lightning is a pain in my ass. <laughs> Dude, it, it's really nice wallet, by the way. So congrats to you and the team for creating a beautiful wallet. It's a beautiful experience, but that's, I would say that's where you're, you're kind of, that's what you're known for. I would say, right. Uh, just the design and aesthetics and, and that the type of beauty that you can bring to, to a Bitcoin wallet. Is that, is that overstating it? But I, I think that's where your strengths are, right? I like to think so. Um, people, it's hard to say whether people tell us they like our design more often than they tell, than they say they like designs of other wallets. I don't really know that totally. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can still hear you. Okay, sorry, my my computer went to sleep for a second. I wasn't sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, but it is what we specialize in as far as because the CEO me, my background is in branding and design, and so. Before Bitcoin, this was my whole world, and um, I don't really design much hands-on lately. Once in a while, for specific things, I'll do it and I'll help. But mostly, um, I've been lucky to have a very great designer on our team, named Albert, and so we work together a lot, and he handles it. And I, you know, it took me a long time to find somebody, a designer, up for the team that like I worked well with and, and valued things the way I did. And now I found that and. We've been, it's been really great working together and just the whole team is just getting better at working together. So yeah, uh, we are trying to be one of the, we're trying to rethink user experiences from the bottom up and we're trying to, 
you know, just make decisions that maybe people didn't even think about in the past to try to develop better user experiences. And we've, we've had some like specific UX flows like copied and, and we're happy to see it um, in other wallets, like invented this like stupid, not stupid, but this small little change that made a big difference with, you know, when you're putting in your seed from a backup and it just kind of starts suggesting to you with buttons that you can tap. So it makes recovery of your seed very fast. And then I think Wasabi added the same thing in another wallet. So yeah, we're doing our best to, to move things forward for us and everyone. That's great. You're making contributions to the ecosystem that everybody can use. I love that. It's intellectual capital out there. It's just, just being created. What do you, what do you think are the, the biggest lessons that, that, cause you've been slow and steady with this for a little bit, as far as the wallet. Um, what is the, so what are some of the biggest lessons that you learned just building a wallet in general? If somebody's out there who's listening and trying to do a similar thing, what, what would you, what would you advise or maybe advise is the wrong word, but what would you warn them against? Well, I'll start with a very quick summary, which is I would advise them to watch my presentation from a Honey Badger conference in Riga last year because that was a specific topic. It was you know, diaries of a lightning pioneer or something like this. And it was me sharing all of the observations of the past few years that I've learned from a builder's perspective, not from like you know, Bitcoin or lightning, just you know, advice for other people that are in my position. Um, to summarize, to kind of give a few details, well, um, a big, the first one that comes to mind, and it took a few times to actually obey the lesson even after we learned it, is you just, when you're building a product, do not accept external dependencies that aren't implemented by other people yet. Um, what this means is just don't, don't be a guinea pig for somebody else's vision. Um, it's just not worth it, and you're just going to end up, you know, Wasting a lot of time. Um, if, if you're actually making a product, you shouldn't put something in that product because you have a lot of technologies you have to juggle when you make a Bitcoin wallet. You shouldn't make some dependencies in there that are things that just aren't complete yet. And we made that mistake with like, you know, when we first made the wallet, it was going to be Omnibolt. We fully implemented Omnibolt. We even moved the Tether token using on Lightning long, like a couple of months before Lightning Labs even announced that they were going to make a token thing. Um, and then we gave that up. We gave up RGB, which we half implemented, but didn't actually, I don't even know if it's ready now. And this was years ago that we gave up. <laughs> um, just a lot of situations like this. Oh, we, we implemented LND Mobile. And while that was not necessarily half-baked, it was not, it's neglected. And so it wasn't really a good choice for doing Lightning and Mobile. Um, yeah, just just don't accept external dependencies. Can, can, can I ask you a question um, with that real quick, John? So when you say that, do you mean because some of these other teams are just moving too fast and maybe they're trying to find mm -hmm. like product market fit themselves? Quite with, the opposite. With, oh, no? Okay. No, it's so just that, what do you think, it's just what that do you, they're moving too slow and they don't even know what their problems are yet. I know oh. this because we're the same way. Um, <laughs> and so you have, to, you have to be careful when you're doing collaboration with teams. You have to make sure that the thing that you're collaborating with, like, is going to be there for the long haul until it actually finishes. But the main dynamic that I'm really discussing here is you want to be in control of your roadmap. And when you take a dependency that isn't complete yet, or hasn't even been, or maybe they're saying is complete, but nobody has actually implemented it yet, then you're basically saying your, your roadmap is infinite until further notice because you don't really have any control over it. 
And that lack of control ends up being even more powerful, you know, later when like you need it to work a certain way and they're not interested in making it work that way. And so if you're going to do something experimental and risky and unfinished, it should be something that you're building, your own company, your own group of people, um, because you have to have some control over your roadmap. Yeah. So just, it, it sounds like don't be the first one through the door. <laughs> it sounds like, like, uh, be the second or third or fourth. I mean, I guess if you wholly know that you're the first person through the door and you're willing to accept, you know, which is honestly what, what is likely to be two years of waiting, like any notable project that you're thinking about adding into your, into your own project that is like in the Bitcoin world and, and relevant to a Bitcoin app you're likely, if, if you make the wrong choice, you're likely to be stuck in a, an unfinished mode for two years. Wow. That's some great advice. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking through all the things. <laughs> Cause well, yeah, I guess it does take 24 months. Right. Um, Another one in that, in that presentation was that um, competitors make the best collaborators. This is. Oh, most tell me about this one. Would be counterintuitive for most people. Well, take for example, like spec development, like you have, um, we have a guy from our team that uh, helps with the LSP spec group, and they're making specs for an LSP. And as it turns out, the most interactive and, and motivated participants are the people that are most closely like compared to us, a competitor. And the reason is, the reason why a competitor is the best collaborator is because you have the same incentives. <laughs> you both want the same thing. You just are competing for that thing. And so you don't want to do, you want to be careful about collaborating with people that are not your competitors because of the other lesson that I mentioned in the thing, which is nobody cares about your vision. Um, and you, only you care. Nobody else cares and everybody has their own vision. So like, you can't like combine visions. You can't go to some project and say, oh, I think it would be really cool if we worked together and you used our technology and maybe we could use yours and this kind of thing. If, if, they're, if they're not a competitor of yours, you're just bothering them most of the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> Golly. I mean, <laughs> whether this, they realize it or not. <laughs> no, but this makes total sense. Like I, I like, you know, I, I mean, yeah. The, the, yeah. You're like hitting on things that I, I don't talk about publicly because I, I don't want to say the, you know, the mean thing, but it's me. I guess it's not being mean. It's just being, uh, what would you describe that? Just being thorough, maybe honest, uh, honest. Yeah. <laughs> Forthcoming. I don't know. Coming, yeah. People yeah. don't, people, people likewise. I don't know. It's a culture thing. I hope it fades at least a little bit in my lifetime, but people like to feel good. They like to feel okay. They won't even trust you. Your trust is not really determined right now. Your reputation isn't fairly determined right now by your actions. It's more determined by your words. And this is a kind of a fucked up situation to be in for people that are rational. Gosh, man. I'm learning today, John. Teaching me some things. Okay, so... Did you, I'm full of shit. Did, did, you, ever, <laughs> did you ever have... Did you have one <laughs> last one from that? Um, now I'm going to go back and watch that. Did you have one last one? Or was it just those two things? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't the most organized presentation, but I did do my best to make sure like it was filled with as many gems as possible. So uh, I would say if you find any of what I just said interesting, you would probably should watch that presentation. That's great. So yeah, let's talk about uh, Synonym. How how is it? How is that going? Are you guys still, 
are y'all still just focused on BitKit right now, or is it? Um, is there other things in the pipeline? Uh, we've never only been focused on BitKit, which is another reason why we've been working for years at what we've been working on. Um, so we have BitKit, uh, which is our our most baked project, um, our most closest to complete, I guess you could say. Um, then we have Block Tank, which is our LSP project. Um, that has been completely rewritten and upgraded and such, but we haven't released the code yet. So the we open source everything we do, but um, this we haven't open sourced yet. It's still pretty, still changing a lot. So, uh, but it's a lot better than it used to be. And as you know, with the LSP spec group, um, there are specs moving forward to where LSPs, hopefully within the next couple of years, will be using all the same specs. So apps can kind of switch between LSPs and keep their user experience intact. Um, so there's that, there's BitKit, there's BlockTank. There's a lot of the work in BitKit, again, with implementing LDK, which has also been used now in a couple other wallet projects that are making wallets based off of React Native then we have tags, and we have a new product that we'll announce um, in Logano near the end of the year. Um, and we'll hope to launch the first version of that as well at the same time. Uh, with slash tags, we're actually, we've kind of, we're making a whole new version of that, all new code libraries. Um, it's going to have a new name because legally we, we ran into some issues with the name. And so the, the name will change. The architecture of it has changed. Um, we're pretty proud of it. We're pretty excited to get it all out there, but still a lot of work left. So our goal is to like release BitKit, then um, we'll have an interim release of a piece of the new slash tags, a specific sub-product that we're uh, pulling out of that. Um, sorry for being somewhat stealthy. We just, we've decided to be secretive this cycle um, whereas uh, last cycle i was extremely verbal and the first cycle i was also secretive in the first couple of years so we're doing a year of being secretive again um <laughs> but yeah it's it's a lot of work we're 17 people now we're hiring we're mm. trying to hire at least one person a month um mm. still trying to make an entire ecosystem for hyper bitcoinization nice what's uh what's what's the latest on slash tags because i know the last time we talked, it was going to be inside the wallet and there were going to be kind of this, um, uh, like these micro apps, I guess. Is that the right word? Uh, I forget how, how you initially described it, but you don't have to give me a complete update. But sure. how's, how's the project going? I, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to like teach everybody about old slash tags because it is kind of old now. Um, it's not that the new one will be, will not include these concepts so much as I don't really want to pique people's interest on deprecated code. But I will say, slash tags does currently already exist in BitKit. There are a number of features in there that are powered by it, and those features aren't going away. They're just simply going to be re-architected in the background to work better and be more censorship-resistant and things like this. Um, the features in the app that slash tags powers are contacts and paying to contacts, so everything is again key based, and so if you want, if you add a contact using slash tags, you can actually pay them anytime, whether they're online or offline, and you can find their payment data for multiple different payment endpoints. And this is the, the sub product that we'll probably release in the middle of the year. 
um, we've broken this product. We'll get a new name too. So I'm not, that's why I'm not mentioning it by name. Oh, gotcha. but, um, essentially it's all of the features and tools around payment protocol stuff um, for anything for the web, I guess you could say for the internet. And so it's, it solves a lot of payment protocol problems for Bitcoin, but really you could use them for anything. So subscriptions, payments, multiple payment methods, multiple different payment endpoints, payment metadata, all of the stuff that you would want for a payment experience can kind of be delivered through this mechanism that is asynchronous and censorship resistant. And so the user is always defining who they are, where their payment endpoints are. And if for some reason something that's trusted censors them, they have the power to switch that routing to a different payment point. So they own their own identity on, and we use this, first demonstrated this for payment features in BitKit. Um, we'll add the rest of some of those other features that I mentioned, like subscriptions and such, and demonstrate you know, user experiences in using that in BitKit later this year. Um, and then we also have, you mentioned like the mini apps. Well, for now, we just call them widgets. Um, but you'll notice in the BitKit app, there's a section where you can add widgets. Yeah. And these widgets are actually like censorship resistant data feeds that can live anywhere. And so any app could have those widgets if they added support for the slash tag scheme that we're using in BitKit. And they'd be pulling from the same data, but they could display it however they wanted. And so we've demonstrated, there's like a Bitcoin headlines widget, which is like an aggregation of different RSS feeds of different Bitcoin websites and the headlines and links. Very often Stacker News headlines show because they generate a lot more headlines than most yeah. websites. Um, so cool. We have like a Bitcoin blocks widget, I have a what else is in there? Bitcoin price widget with a little chart in there. Um, so it's just a, an idea that like, sort of like, RSS feeds on steroids. Yeah, totally. And yes, eventually this does turn into more of a kind of decentralized apps sort of thing. Um, but it'll, we have to build some lower layers first before we can get to that abstraction. Yeah, that'd be cool to have like a, I, mean, I don't want to keep saying this word because you'll just get out there and you have to stick with it. But yeah, to have like a micro app store of a sort and then you can just, uh, even if I could just run one in on a TV here in the lab that with just all these you know, micro apps just displaying all sorts of things. Cause we have like dashboard, the Clark Moody dashboard up, we have the mempool up, but it would be cool to have like a, you know, one of just all these widgets, just like, you know what I mean, John? That'd be dope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is like a, a thing in some IT companies where they have like a dashboard yeah. and the dashboard is kind of like the master console where they can monitor like the health of different servers, you know, how many people are on the website at the at this moment, like whatever metric they need and have it at their fingertips. Yeah, you could you could do things like this, but you need a much deeper ecosystem of people in the protocol. You know? Yeah, I mean if, if if it's it's if it's an easy lift, I don't see why, you know, it couldn't get implemented. Or couldn't get um, well, we'll be, exported out. We'll be uh coming to to solicit stacker news <laughs> when we're ready for trying to experiment with some of these features. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, okay. So let's jump in. So do you want to talk about any more about the cinnamon stuff or, or, or do you want to have anything? I, else I will, I'm here to answer the questions you are interested in having <laughs> answers. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So I want to talk about the, I know you, I mean, yeah, obviously you're in Europe, but I know you don't care. Maybe, or maybe you do care. I don't know. What do you, what do you feel like Bitcoin is post ETF? Did anything change? Are we still the same? Is it, is it going to impact us? What are your thoughts on the, the ETF? 
I don't know if you've talked about this publicly. The price, the price appears to be higher for the moment. Um, that's nice, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I've spoken about ETFs for years. I, I think that Bitcoiners are always looking for something to pump their bags uh, for the most part. And so they all support ETF because of the dream of you know millions of normies putting their pensions and such into Bitcoin. Um, yeah, I guess it all makes sense from an economic standpoint that, that, that this could help the price go up. My longer term concerns are it does make Bitcoin more vulnerable to government, you know, involvement. It makes people more vulnerable to potential paper Bitcoin situations where the Bitcoin doesn't exist or the Bitcoin is stolen or hacked or quote unquote hacked, you know, um, or seized by the government, you know, just in a like they did with with money, you know, Um, money and gold. And so. Yeah, I don't think it's very Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin centric or, or a, a small win for Bitcoin or something like this. I, I just think that it's it was inevitable and it's unfortunate that so many people are still addicted to the banking system. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's and maybe this is too harsh, but I do feel like it's going to it's going to, you know, really put Bitcoin in a bad position later this decade. Not right now. I mean, we're not seeing it now, but. It, it would be a sad thing to, for like, you know, um, what's, what's the CEO of uh, BlackRock? I forget his name. Uh, Fink, Larry Fink. It'd be, it'd be sad for him just to like make a comment about Bitcoin and then just tanks or something. Um, well, that's the other issue with, with it being everybody's pension fund is, you know, you're assuming the pension funds will invest responsibly. You're assuming that volatility will not be gut wrenching for a segment of, you know, users um, yeah, like I've just never been a fan of, of Bitcoin being purely a speculative use case. Yeah, totally. Okay, so it sounds like you're you're more of a uh, just cautious on the whole thing. Um, well, I can't do anything about it, so I'm not going like, to get too upset. <laughs> um, so yeah. it's it's just you know. Like I said, how to think about it, and that's, that's how I look at it. Is how, how, how do how do we think about this? Well, we can't do anything about it. It was inevitable. It's probably risky or dangerous if we could have done something about it, but we can't, and it's natural. So we're just going to have to be reactive and do what we can if it affects us. Yeah. All right. So let's get into some like founder founder talk because I want to want to talk about that too. Um, you've been a founder for well, yeah. Tell. T- Tell me again, which, which you worked for bit refill. Um, and then you did synonym right after that or. So I, I don't, don't even actually know what founder means in a technical sense. I know it's supposed to represent, you know, the first people that started the thing, but I don't know if it has a technical definition that is meant to be met. But so I, I would, I'm definitely not a founder at bit refill. Um, I wasn't even a founder in the thing I did before that. Um, which was Exotica, um, the, the video streaming website that mm-hmm. used Bitcoin tips payments. Um, that was actually started by uh, some Romanian guys before I was involved, and then I got involved and kind of took it over. So I, while I wasn't the founder, I did kind of take it under my wing or you know vision my own vision for a while. Um, then I joined BitRefill, and while I was definitely not a founder, it was still in the 
kind of somewhat earlier stages of them when they were really coming into their own with success. They had already added gift cards, and that really proved to be working very well for them. And then I joined right when like the whole lightning narratives were starting. Um, and so they were like the, the first people trying to like do selling lightning channels as a business model. Um, it was called Thor the name of their yeah. LSP services. And so I worked a lot on that and promoting that and adding features and products. And yeah, I just, I, I kind of, I, they gave me a long leash at BitRefill for which I am very grateful and I made the most out of it for myself and for them. And so it, it was a nice experience. Um, but yeah, immediately after BitRefill, I did come to Synonym. Um, well, I did start Synonym. And I, I'm sure, I, I don't know if I told the story in the last interview we did but no, I you did story it. many times no um i was working at bit refill and doing the lightning stuff and i wanted so like i was doing some business development as well and i was was trying to get uh bitfinex to integrate bit refill into their platforms so the users could buy gift cards inside the platform and we made that project uh another excuse to collaborate with them to add lightning to Bitfinex. So this would be like the first major exchange with, with Lightning. And we used Lightning to do the settlement. So basically, Bit, uh, Bitfinex and BitRefill would have a large Lightning channel together. And uh, when Bitfinex users would buy gift cards, the, the amount would be taken out of their balance in Bitfinex, but Bitfinex would immediately settle the debt with BitRefill through the Lightning channel. So it was basically dynamic settlement, so no credit terms are necessary. And this is really, honestly, the core utility of Lightning. It always will be, is, is B2B sub dynamic settlement because it's a high-frequency transacting situation, right, between two peers that are dedicated. So we kind of did all that all at once, and that's when I started. I had already had some, a couple interactions with Paulo from Tether and BitfinX, and that was what kind of got me closer to them. Um, I actually ended up speaking at one of... Bitfinex's company meetups just about Bitcoin stuff and so I got to know some of their team um, but yeah I, I started having a lot of big ideas about things I wanted to build and I was channeling all these ideas through the lens of BitRefill um, and it didn't quite fit yeah. so I did make an attempt to kind of convince Sergey to, to do some of these things and he wasn't convinced and I told, I asked Paulo, I said, hey, if Sergey is not convinced, will you fund this? And he said, yes. And so that's how Synonym was born. And I spent a few months, um, was this 2020, I think? Uh, in 2020, uh, I spent a few months alone just kind of designing the whole company and the vision and started hiring people. And for the first year, we were like three or four people. Um, and then we, we stayed in self mode for about two years before announcing the company at all. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's some that's, of the story. No, that's pretty interesting. So y you, you are trying to, I guess, just take a low time preference mode is it, for lack of a better understanding of it. It sounds like you, you really took your time to really think through what were the implications of what you were going to build and how hard it was going to build. <laughs> Um, I, I'm getting the impression that the impression Synonym has given people is that we're very slow. Um, I, 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 mean, I don't know if that's what you're trying to <laughs> well, politely it, I, tell me. I mean, well, a um, year ago, a year ago, you were in beta and I tested it and it was there. And then I you know, saw the update here. So I was like, oh, cool. Like it's like, there's some actually, there's some push behind it now, or at least it feels like that to me. Um, 
but uh, you were definitely early even then. It was like 22. Yeah. I would say that the reason why everything is taking so much time is because it's a lot of new ground, Um, not just new ground for like inventing things in technology, which is definitely a big factor, but new ground for me, um, scaling a company up to have this many people. I mean, before, before I worked, before I was doing synonym, the most people I ever managed was maybe five. Um, and so figuring out all of the workflows, I did get to learn a lot about that when I was working at BitRefill because they, they were at about 20 or so people when I was there, when I left. So yeah, that's one aspect is just figuring out how to do this. But not only that, figuring out how to do four or five products at once. Um, and so I'm, we're trying to figure out how to be good at doing a lot at once. And so this is not, we're not a typical startup, you know, we're, we're a subsidiary of Tether. And so we're, our, our charge isn't make as much money as fast as you can or you will die. It's make the best thing possible so we can justify continue to giving you more, more money to do more cool okay. things. Um, so it's, it's not like we have like no, it's not like we have unlimited budget. That's definitely not the case. It's just that as long as we can prove ourselves to the people that are paying, they'll keep paying. And we are just doing our best to take the most full advantage that we can of this opportunity. And so they, what they agreed to do was fund the entire vision, which is an ecosystem of products, not just a Bitcoin wallet. And so trying to figure out how to do not just a Bitcoin wallet, but also self-custodial lightning and you know all of the slash tags features and basically invent a whole new web when it comes to slash tags and all the things around that, uh, all, the, all the block tank stuff and spec development. It's just a lot of stuff. I mean... We have, we weren't we, we grew a lot more in the past year or two, but you know, uh, like I said, for the first couple of years, we were I don't know between three and seven people or something. So yeah, it, it was just finding the right people, you know, figuring out how to prioritize and deploy the people and, and roadmap everything and meet roadmap expectations. It's just all been a process. Um, but we're getting better at it and more and more, you know, every week. So I'm excited. No, it, it's, it's, it's incredible, man. Um, that's, that's really inspiring to me to hear. Um, 17 people I couldn't imagine. <sighs> yeah, that's a lot. Is, is there any advice you would give to people that people are get impatient? Like I, I think, uh-huh. uh, sorry, I was just saying, I was just thinking about how, like, yeah, you're mentioning that, we, that we've, it's been a long time and it has, um, I forget his name, the guy who does, uh, the Noster guy now he does, Oh, is it not Pablo or maybe it's Pablo. Um, I don't remember his name. Um, off the top of my head, I met him once in El Salvador and, uh, he, he, I noticed he messaged a couple of times on Twitter. Like he was like, why aren't you guys working out in the open? Like everybody knows this is the best way and et cetera, et cetera. And I just like, I asked him, I said, well, you know, we're just doing the cathedral model. We're trying to, intend, we, we know what we want. We're not uncertain of what we want. We're just trying to figure out the best way to go about, you know, actually shipping it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just interesting to see that there are people who just like, why aren't you just coding everything out in the open? It's just my philosophy about certain aspects of development is just different. Like <laughs> to put it bluntly, I guess 
I'm not as interested in what everybody thinks about what we should do as they think I should be. <laughs> right. um, and like we have some conviction about what we're doing. No, that, that makes total sense. And it goes back to what you were telling me earlier. It's like, Car, have you talked about Sorry, but I, Go ahead. Sorry, I was just saying that my, my answer, my last answer interrupted your last question. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So what I was going to say is like, no, it sounds like what you were telling me earlier, like, Car, if you, if you're probably not out there saying how you do uh, think through these things and maybe you're not explaining your, your uh, framework of how you think through things. Uh, and, and it sounds like, you do right. that all the time. I yeah. tried for a long. That's why yeah. I stopped. Like, sorry, I'm interrupting you. No, you're fine. Um, Go ahead. I, I did try. I, like, when I mentioned that I was doing podcasts a lot for a while and that I haven't been that way lately, that was partly just me trying, like, you know, trying to stay out there and keep people informed that we exist, even though we haven't, we're not finished yet, and trying to explain to them, like, I told everybody everything that I wanted to do and in. You know, long-term terms, abstract terms. I did my best to create this mental model for everyone about what we're doing, and mostly it confused them. A few people stuck to it, and like, and and kind of picked something out of it that they they thought was exciting. Like Guy Swan, for example, um, he's been a, a nice supporter. But um, it's just hard to get everybody into this mental model when they're just like have so they don't have the stems. You know what I mean? Like they can't. They can't form and, and care about all these ideas and these, these paradigms if it's just not what they work with and think about every day. And so I just I just realized that it's just kind of a waste of time to try to like teach everybody about all the things that are interesting about this and explain how powerful it is when really the only thing that will work is just showing them. So I'd rather focus on finishing what we're building and demonstrating it in products so we can be like, this is what this is what I was talking about. See. You know, Um, and we'll get better at explaining it and and communicating this, you know, as we work on it more and more. That's definitely true. Like, it's just it's it's a really deep and nuanced and it's it's tricky. We deal a lot with a lot of different types of abstractions and trying to make them fit together. So it's it's not easy mental work. Yeah, You piqued my interest, man. I mean, um, I don't like talking about things that are like terrible. I refuse to talk about projects that are terrible. I just only want to talk about projects that are interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like what you're doing out there. It, it sounds really cool. It sounds, it's different. I suppose one man's trash is another man's treasure. right? <laughs> yeah. I think that's a thing. So uh, we're coming up to the top of the hour. I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know how busy you are, but um, just, just real quick. What, what are you expecting from this, this next kind of cycle as you know, that we're headed into, uh, you know, post having like, do you, are you expecting anything or are there any things that you're looking out for or any kind of um, milestones or markers, at least e- even for your team or you just per- personally? Well, I mean, we're trying to make this a big year. Yeah, like we, we, we feel that we couldn't have caught the last bull market, but for startups and, and companies building things in general, like you do, like there's a, a, a culture and, and an understanding of, you know, if you can be around to promote this thing in the heat of a bull market, you're going to get a lot of free extra attention and it's going to ride further. It's just going to be more juice behind the whole thing. And so you don't, you don't really want to ship after the bull market, right? You want to try to ship in the, in the heat of it. And so you can start building on it um, and, and have that to, you know, to build on through the bear market. Um, 
so yeah, we're, what do I expect? Uh, we, I expect the, the, the roadmap I mentioned earlier, which is to ship the things I said we would, right. um, as far as outside of synonym. Um, I think, uh, I will be disappointed if we don't see 150k. Um, I think that's kind of a target I'm looking at for a price this year. Honestly, I think it should go much higher, but I'll be disappointed uh, in the next 18 months. We'll say. Okay. Um. Yeah, I, I think we're about. I think either around now or a month or two from now, the the bull market will fully start. Will kick into gear. Probably more, probably more sideways now. I doubt we're just gonna. I don't think we're just gonna burst through 50k. I think we're gonna get stuck here, um, and that may take a month or two, and then we'll have like we'll see what what, what the FOMO looks like for real. Um, I'm expecting some shitcoin heartbreak stories. Like I really do think ETH, <laughs> Ethereum could have a lot of trouble this bull market. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you want to just like price, does he just end I, the project? You think? Uh, I'm not trading any of these things. What's that? I was going to say, does he, does he just end the project? Uh, Sorry, what? Does, does Vitalik just end the project? You think? No, no, they, they, they let that bleed for a long time because they can't look like scammers. So it's like, they have to keep propping it up for like another 10 years. But I just mean that when your game is being the alternative to Bitcoin, you always lose to the next alternative to Bitcoin. And so now Ethereum seeing this, what I believe Solana, for example, is, is one of the coins. And I even think there's memes about it. I think they talk about like, what do they call it? The rotation or something. And, it, and so there's a culture developing around shitcoins where they're realizing that the shitcoin game is basically being in the next rotation. And so you have to make sure you don't get stuck in the old coin. And that's exactly how shitcoins work. So yeah, I think at some point Ethereum is just the old coin. And they're going to be a victim of all the things that they accuse Bitcoin of, like the dinosaur. Because Bitcoin will never be the dinosaur. It'll always be the primary. But Ethereum can definitely be the dinosaur. So, yeah, I expect some, some shitcoin heartbreak stories. <laughs> um, Love to see it. I don't know what else to expect, to be honest. <laughs> I don't expect any soft forks. I don't expect any hard forks. I don't expect any amazing new scaling technologies that matter. Um. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't expect lightning to kill Visa. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, let's get into rapid fire. Then we'll end it. Um, what's the what's the what's the best best advice you ever got in the Bitcoin space? Even if it's your own advice. This is rapid fire. <laughs> yeah, even if it's your own advice. <laughs> the best advice I ever got in the Bitcoin space. Um. I think it was just being a Bitcoin maximalist, you know, I, that was really drilled in really early before the term existed to me. So I was extremely lucky to, to walk into Bitcoin in a culture of people that had that attitude. So the best advice, I guess, was just walking in the first rooms I entered into in Bitcoin were rooms of people that were extremely, you know, devout to the Bitcoin ideals and preaching them and teaching them. And so, yeah, the best advice I got was to be a maximalist. That's great advice. What uh, what some advice you would give to new new people coming into Bitcoin right now? Uh, the new Bitcoiners, the new plebs, the the new new term that will be around this next cycle. Like, what's 
What's some advice that you would give them? 99% of what you read about Bitcoin is useless bullshit, lies, scams, or idiocy. Um, what you, all you really need to know coming into Bitcoin is that it is, it is the superior savings device. And any money that you have that you do not plan on spending for at least several years should be held in Bitcoin. And that's all you need to know. Don't trade Bitcoin. Don't speculate. Don't try to catch the top or the bottom. But do try to be looser with your money during you think that everybody is acting crazy about the price and be tighter with it when everybody is acting crazy about it being too low. And that's about the best you can do is just, you know, take a nice vacation when Bitcoin hits 100K. Don't sell all your Bitcoin um, because it might go to 200K and then you're going to be pretty sad. Um, yeah. I guess that's, uh, that's great advice. Everybody is an idiot and just keep stacking. 